1 Corinthians chapter 12. We are going to bite off a new topic, the gifts of the Spirit. We'll do verses 1 through 11. So, verse 1, Paul writes, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles, carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. I can only imagine as we step into a discussion on the gifts of the Spirit, I wish I could read your minds. <laughs> because I know the diversity that we enjoy in Calvary Chapel, that you all have come from no church background, or a Catholic church background, or a Baptist church background, or Episcopal church background, or Methodist church background, or all different kinds of church backgrounds. And coming from those church backgrounds, you may have come with a preconceived idea or avoidance of the gifts of the Spirit. Some of you, when I say gifts of the Spirit, you picture a wacky church where crazy things happen and you don't want any part of that. And that's your vision of that. And others say, oh, I wish we had more of that around here. Uh, so we're from all over the board. And because of that, I think that's the real power for us as a church in turning to the Word of God. Because we're going to open the Word of God and we're going to submit all of our denominational, traditional backgrounds to God's Word. And we're going to let God speak to the issue of and the topic of spiritual gifts. And that may mean some of you are going to be corrected. And that may mean some of you are going to be affirmed, but we'll let the Lord speak to us. And I hope my prayer as I prayed is that our hearts will be open to seeing what does God have to say to us? I mean, we know the Corinthian church. We've been walking with them for the last number of weeks. We're now in chapter 12. This is a difficult church. These are carnal people. I mean, they're fleshy. They're driven by their desires. They're selfish and self-centered in a lot of ways. They're overindulgent. They're divided. They're schizophrenic is the Greek word used there. They're schizo. There's divisions. There's schisms among them over teachers and over other issues as well, including even at the Lord's table. As so we've been through all of that, and now we come to this chapter 12, and we read about spiritual gifts, and we're thankful that they are gifts and not rewards, because if they were rewards, I don't think the Corinthian church would have any. The gifts of God, the spiritual gifts, are not given based on merit. It's not the really spiritual people in the church that get them and the other people, well, you just don't. Their gifts and their given will find out to everyone. And they're good. They're good gifts. They're necessary gifts for the body of Christ. And I think right off the bat, before we even get to the passage, thinking about the Corinthian church and all of their problems that Paul has to correct, yet in chapter one, when Paul begins his letter, he says, I got to find something to compliment these guys on. 
the one thing he finds to compliment them on is, well, God's been really gracious to you guys and you come short in no gift. So they had all of the spiritual gifts kind of flowing through and in the church. And that's what Paul compliments them on. So we recognize that spiritual gifts are not a reward for spiritual good behavior. And they aren't ever a sign of spiritual maturity. Someone can have a spiritual gift and still struggle with immaturity and lovelessness. As a matter of fact, chapters 12, 13, and 14 will all kind of be a sandwich. Chapter 12 and 14 really discuss the gifts and the public gathering when the church comes together and order and how do the gifts work and what's this all about. But then in the middle of that, we have the wonderful chapter 13, the love chapter. You know it. Love suffers long in this kind. You wonder what in the world is the love chapter doing sandwiched between two chapters that deal with the spiritual gifts and speaking in tongues. Because all of the gifts have to operate in the context of love. And if there's no love, the gifts are useless. And so Paul sandwiches that beautiful chapter in the center there to help them know, to help us know how all of this works out. So I don't know what kind of questions you came with today or over the next couple of weeks. I mean, is Calvary Chapel a charismatic church? Are we a charismatic church? What is a charismatic church? Are the gifts for today? Are gifts of the Spirit the same as natural abilities and talents? All these and more questions I'm sure that you have because oftentimes pulpits just avoid the topic. Maybe you've been to a church where, well, spiritual gifts, we just don't go there. You know, we just don't talk about that. So you've landed yourself in Calvary Chapel where we go verse by verse and chapter by chapter and thankful for it, right? Thankful for it. So we don't get to ignore these things. We have to address them. And again, we're thankful for it. So we're going to get to go through this and hopefully handle misconceptions, misunderstandings, fears, anxieties, because as a pastor, I want to see God do all that God wants to do in our midst and in our community and in our lives. Would you agree with me in that? So for that to happen, church life is both relational and supernatural. Church life is dynamic and dependent on the grace and the gifts and the goodness and the power of God. When you have relationship and the supernatural working of God, you have a beautiful, beautiful package. Now, by way of introduction, verse 1 says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren. And you notice, maybe if you're paying attention, the word gifts is in italics. Did you notice that? Glance down. You'll see the word gifts is in italics. And that means it's not included in the original Greek text. doesn't have the word gifts, but it's added to clarify for understanding. It's not inaccurate. It just clarifies it because Paul wrote, now concerning spirituals, pneumaticos. We know the word pneumatic, pneumatic hammering, air hammer. The word used for spirituals here is pneumos, related to that word, and it means air or breath. And that's what Paul is talking about. Remember, these are carnal believers. They were carnal, and Paul wanted to talk to them like spiritual people, like pneumaticoi, a spiritual, but he couldn't because they were so fleshy. So now, a number of chapters later, he says, I'm going to talk to you now about spiritual things. And that's going to be chapter 12, chapter 13, chapter 14, and then even chapter 15 is the resurrection chapter. So his spiritual topics, he's going to introduce them to and challenge them with. So he says, concerning spirituals or spiritual gifts, brethren, I don't want you to be ignorant. And I think that same sentiment exists today. 
I would say the same thing. Church, Calvary Chapel, Fluvanna, I don't want you to be ignorant about spirituals, spiritual gifts or spiritual things. I want you to know, and that's why we're studying this, but so much of the church is in the dark about spiritual gifts. Again, because it's largely ignored or there's fear around it, there's anxiety around it. So it gets ignored and never discussed. So the church, this great thing exists for the church, but oftentimes pastors aren't diligent to introduce and walk their churches through these things. But we are going to have the opportunity to do that. So he says, you know that you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit. It seems to be a specific area of ignorance in their church and in their community, and he takes them back to their origin. They come out of largely pagan backgrounds. I mean, Corinth was a church given over to idolatry, pagan idolatry. You had all kinds of temples to false gods there, and that's where the people worshiped. Their experience with spiritual things was what they had learned at the idol's temple. How many of you ever met somebody and you asked them, hey, are you saved? And they might say, well, I'm a spiritual person. You ever met someone like that? And that can mean you're into new age, you're into this weird thing over here. It can mean a whole bunch of things when someone says they're spiritual. So the church, the people had a background that they came from. And in that background, they had a certain experience with spiritual things. And now they're believers. And that has to sort of be restructured as God would have it to be restructured. So he says, look, when you were Gentiles, you were pagans, you were all into idolatry. And he says dumb idols. Now that's not stupid. That means dumb, they can't speak. That's deaf, dumb, and blind. Dumb meaning nonverbal, unvocal. So they worship statues. And the Bible is clear about that. These statues, these molded images, they have eyes, but can they see? Say no. Yes, they can't see. Do they have ears, but can they hear? No. They have mouths, but can they speak? No. So you were carried away. You got carried away, led habitually and passively. There was a power, and Paul would say a demonic power, operating in your life to draw you away to this willy-nilly, anything-goes, in some ways sinful worship of idols. They were worshiping in ways that were inherently sinful, sexual sin, drunkenness, those kinds of things. Just anything went And that's why I have to make you know that when it comes to people speaking about God and Jesus, that it's not anything goes. There's a real clear way to tell if a person is truly spiritual. Now, some of us are familiar with the line of thinking that says the only real way to know if a person is saved is if they speak in tongues. If they don't know what that means, it means that certain branches of the church believe that the sign of salvation is that you could spontaneously speak in an unknown language, a language that you have never learned. And that can be abused, it can be fake, it has a lot of problems, but that's what they would say is the sign. Paul says that when it comes to speaking, the sign isn't some unknown or ecstatic speaking. He says it's actually a very known thing that you say, and it's what you say about Jesus is what tells you where you are with the Lord. Did you see that? No one, he says by the Spirit, can say Jesus is accursed. Now, it's hard to know exactly how that looked in Corinth, where people just walking around saying, Jesus is accursed. That doesn't seem to be the way it is. Some people may say, well, if you don't believe in Jesus, and you don't believe he is who he says he is, you don't believe he did what he said he did, then you would look at the cross, 
And you would agree with what the Bible says, cursed is every man that hangs in a tree. So I don't believe Jesus is the Lord. I don't believe he's God. I believe that when he, the historical Jesus, hung on a tree, he was a cursed man by God. You're an unbeliever. I don't believe. I remember years ago, someone inviting me to find a website called Take the Blasphemy Challenge. Anybody heard about that? It's a website that's set up and you record yourself blaspheming the Holy Spirit. You record it right there. Say, I am boldly blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Now, most people aren't so bold about it. It sort of makes you shudder when you watch it. Like, oh my goodness. Because to us, that's incredible. That's painful. But there are those that would say Jesus is accursed. Now, some people don't say it verbally with their mouths, but their lives tell the story. There's really only two choices. Either Jesus is God or he's not. Either he's the Lord or he's not. So if you say he's not, then you say, well, he must have been a cursed man of the tree, not really God. So no one by the Spirit says Jesus is accursed, and no one, so this is definitive. Paul is making a real delineation here. Nobody, apart from the Spirit of God, can say Jesus is Lord. So that applies to everybody across the board. The one sure and certain sign that a person is saved is not that they speak a certain unknown language or that they have a certain specific spiritual gift. The certain and sure sign, Paul says, is that they can say honestly in their heart, Jesus is Lord. Can you say that? Now, we can utter that. John MacArthur was asked if he could boil down the gospel of salvation in Christ to one sentence. And he said, I can do it in three words. Jesus is Lord. That's the gospel. Doubting Thomas, remember, when he was doubting whether or not Jesus was alive, he missed the church meeting. Don't ever miss the church meeting because you never know when something cool is going to happen. But he misses the meeting and they say, Jesus is alive. And I don't believe it. I don't believe it. I can't believe it. Unless I can touch him and experience it, then I'm not going to believe. And Jesus shows up to him and says, here I am, Tom. Put your finger in here. Put your hand in my side. And what is Thomas's response? He says, my Lord and my God. Some people say, well, I believe God exists. I believe in Jesus But saying Jesus is your Lord is saying that he's the one that you trust with your life. You know, we don't do it perfectly. I mean, none of us perfectly submits and yields our lives to Christ. We all struggle. But I pray that in your heart, that's your desire. I want to yield more of me to Christ. I want him to increase and for me to decrease. I want him to be more and more my Lord, more and more practically speaking. And if you want that, if you're not saved, if you're not a believer, you won't say that. Try it out sometime. Try it out. And when you're talking to people and you say, well, do you believe in God? Oh, yeah, yeah, I believe in God. I pray. Ask them, is Jesus Lord? Just say it just like that and see what their response is. A lot of people will balk at that. Oh, I believe in him. I don't know about that. Is he my Lord? Or if he is the Lord? So that's what's going on. And I belabor that point because it's an important point. D.A. Carson, a respected Bible scholar, who wrote a book on these three chapters, 12, 13, and 14, called Showing the Spirit. Excellent book. And in that book, he said of these verses, to be able to confess that the Jesus of the incarnation, the cross, and the resurrection is truly the Lord, especially in the face of a society that has lords aplenty, already attests to the powerful, transforming work of the Holy Spirit. And then he went on to say that The purposes of these verses here are not to distinguish true from false spirits in general, but to provide a sufficient test to see who has the spirit at all. And he uses these definitive words. No one does this and no one does that. And now 
once he sort of settled that, yes, Jesus is Lord. Now, after that, when it comes to the gifts of the Spirit, there's not just one thing or one way or one demonstration of the fact that you're saved. I mean, I remember being in our driveway and a woman that we were ministering to at our church at the time and she'd fall back into sin and just feeling powerless. And we asked her, have you ever prayed to be baptized with the Holy Spirit? And she said, I don't know what that's about. So we laid hands on her, prayed for her. And you know what happened? Nothing. Like she didn't turn purple. She didn't start to flail around on the ground. There was no immediate kind of obvious thing. Now, sometimes in the Bible there is. Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 2. Sometimes that happens, but not always. We like everything to be the same. We want to have one way that we know, I want to be able to judge you. I want to know if you are. I want to be able to judge me. Am I or not? Hey, Jesus is Lord. Can you say that? Then you're saved. Now, how this works out in terms of how God uses your life that's where we embrace diversity. And that's why he says this next. There are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. There are differences in ministries, but the same Lord. There are diversities of activities, but it's the same God who works all in all. God is the author of unity, and God is the author of diversity. God loves order and God loves differences. I mean, look around this room. Every one of us, 46 chromosomes. But look how different that works out. That's one of the things I love about God. It's one thing I love about our church. I love the diversity we enjoy. Racial, socioeconomic, age. I think that's a sign of a really healthy work of God when there is diversity. The real challenge with spiritual gifts is to understand the balance Because he says, there's diversities, there's diversities, there's diversities, but there's one spirit, one God, one Lord. Doing it all in all. So just because this person doesn't act and serve like that person doesn't mean that, well, I'm saved and they're not. And that's the challenge for us. Someone once gave an illustration that we can be like drunken priests. We climb up on one side of the donkey only to fall off on the other side. We see the abuses and we see the ridiculous things done in the name of God in some arms of the church. And we go, you know what? We're going to reject that whole thing. And we're going to end up over here where there's no room. There's no acceptance of the gifts of God. There's no room for the spirit of God to move. We want everything to be predictable and comfortable and safe. And both extremes are wrong. And that's what I love about studying the whole counsel of God is because we get that balance to know how do these things work out? Not just what gifts exist, but how are they to operate? So you might ask yourself, well, Steve, is Calvary Chapel a charismatic church? By the way, the word for gifts, did you see that in verse four? It's charisma, not that exact word, but it's from that word charisma. And it doesn't just mean someone who's smooth and good with people and influential, but from the root word for grace, which is charis. Charis is grace. It's a gift. That's why we translate it gifts. Charisma or giftedness is where we get the word charismatic churches. So charismatic churches are churches that have a welcoming of and a usefulness for the gifts of the Spirit. So he gives us the gifts so we can be useful and minister to each other. Isn't that a good idea? One person said that God loves diversity so much that when he sends a snowstorm, he makes each snowflake different. Why are we so scared of diversity? Show me a church 
that enjoys diversity of ministry, diversity of people, diversity of life, church life. And I'll show you a church where the Spirit of God is welcome. Show me a church that has embraced a rigid adherence to narrow uniformity. And I'll show you a church where the Spirit of God is being quenched or unwelcome altogether. Listen to the sermon, read the passage, you see if you believe that that is true or not. So he says, there are diversities of gifts, same spirit, differences of ministries, same Lord, diversities of activities, same God that works all in all. So the first thing to notice is that the Trinity, all three persons of the Godhead are involved in this issue of gifts. We call them the gifts of the spirit, and that's true, that's what they are, but God the Father has a role in it, and God the Son has a role in it. The gifts themselves are given to us by the Spirit. The Spirit of God is responsible for giving us the gifts. God doesn't ask you what gifts you want. You can desire certain gifts. The Bible says desire the best gifts. But you can't control what you get. Remember the gumball machines? Like you put your quarter in. I think they got a couple at Food Lion. You see they have all the different things in the little plastic eggs. And you go, I want one of those. You put the quarter in, you turn the handle, and out it comes. You, oh, I got that. But I don't think anybody feels that way. When it comes to the gifts of the Spirit, maybe you could feel that way. But it'd just be wrong. Because God knows you. And he gives you gifts that are in accordance with how he made you and what he's built you for and what he has for you to do. Can we trust him to do that? You know, are we thankful that I am not in control? But that God distributes his things according to his plan and his will and how he wants the body to work together. And I love that. But each person is involved. The Spirit gives the gifts, but it's the Lord, it's Jesus, who gives the ministries. That's the word for service. It's the word where we get deacon. It's got a wide range of usage. Any kind of area of service, from waiting tables to government service, that word was used in ancient history. So it's got a wide variety, but Jesus is the ultimate servant. So I think it's fitting that Jesus would be the one. Spirit gives you the gifts, but now you need a place to use them. And what good are gifts? if you got no place to use it. So Jesus says, okay, Spirit gives you gifts. I'm going to plug you in to a place to do ministry. That could be near or far. It could be Fluvanna or Ethiopia. Could be a teaching ministry or a caring ministry. Could be a mercy ministry. Could be all different kinds of things. We got so many ministries at this church now, I can't keep track. Because we don't operate top down. We don't sit in the office as the pastor and go, well, what are we going to do next? What needs to happen around here? We've just watched over the years as God puts a passion on someone for women's ministry. And then we've got a cancer support group. And we've got a single ministry. And those don't come top down. Those come from God gifting people. And then those people going, all of a sudden I have this weird desire to like park cars in the parking lot. Or clean toilets. Change diapers. That's got to be of God. (laughs) See, these things happen so naturally that we forget that there's a supernatural influence behind that. I love to teach the Bible. I just love it. I used to hate to read. My dad still thinks it's a miracle that now I love to read. That's a miracle. That's a miracle of God. Because God said, I'm going to give you a gift and I'm going to have you serve in a place. And I didn't start out here in front of all you scary looking people. (laughs) If this was step one, no thanks, God, I'm out of here. I know for some of you, my job is safe because the last thing you'd ever want to do is public speaking. But that's how I felt about it too. I was desperately afraid. And some of you know the story that I sit on the stool today still because my knees shake sometimes when I public speak. Now, not as much anymore, 
But that's why it started years ago as my knees were shaking so bad. But God gives you a gift and then he gives you a place to serve and then there's freedom and God can say, I'm going to move you from here. I'm going to move you over here. I'm going to move you over here. Your gift of teaching or your gift of mercy or your gift of prophecy can work out in a bunch of different places within the church. The important thing is that you have it and you know it and you're available to use it and stop denying us that presence of the power of God through you. Because when you say, I'm unavailable, I won't use it, I don't want to be part, I don't want to participate, then something here is missing. There's different ways and places where God makes this to work out. The danger we face in the church is because you're jazzed about missions. You think missions is it. And if people in this church don't all sign up for your mission trip, well, they must not be spiritual. Because I love missions and everybody should love missions. Or I love children's ministry. And if everybody should sign up for VBS. I mean, if you don't sign up for VBS, I'm not sure you're saved. See, that's how we think as humans, right? We got this issue with, because I love it, I think everybody else should love it. But you love it because you love it. Listen carefully, church. You see things uniquely around here because of the way God has gifted you and called you. You see things I don't see. And you expect that I'm going to see everything, but then I wouldn't need you. So you go into the bathroom and you go, man, this place is dirty. Towels on the floor. I mean, paper towel dispensers empty. And you come out and you go, Pastor Steve, the bathroom's a mess. It's just messy. It shouldn't be that way. Well, I think God is calling you to clean it. (laughs) You must have the gift of helps. Because you saw it. Everybody else just walked by and walked in and walked out and said, well, it's messy, bummer. Someone's going to clean it, I guess. But that's the gift of helps, the gift of services. So God does this and he helps you see things. And when you do that, we become this organic and exciting body of Christ. Church should not be boring. And it's boring if you show up as a spectator, expecting not to participate, but just to receive and walk out and wait till next week to receive something else. What are you receiving it for anyway? The job of the pastor is not to do all the ministry. I don't have all the gifts. God has given me some, and he's given you some and you some. And when we pull together in the body, then every need gets met. But the church is very pastor-centric, and we expect that the pastor's job is to do all the ministry. And you guys know mercy and compassion when it comes to hospital settings. I faint at blood. (laughs) I got mercy for other areas, but not that one. But someone else has that. And praise the Lord. But you want me to have all the gifts and do all the ministry, and you just want to show up and be a spectator. And I'm telling you, Paul is telling us, that's not the way the body of Christ works. It's just not. As parents... If you have young kids, when it comes time, you want to teach them to give. You want to teach them, hey, we support the work of the church, so you give them 50 cents or a quarter or whatever you give them to put in the offering box, maybe a $100 bill, something like that. (laughs) And you say, here, I'm giving you this so that you can take this and put it in the offering box in your children's ministry. Now, they haven't earned a dime in their life. They're five. Maybe some chores or something, but sometimes it's just, here's 50 cents. When you go into your classroom, put it in the offering box. And the gifts of the Spirit are sort of like that. We have nothing to offer. I have nothing spiritual. In my flesh dwells no good thing. I have nothing of me to offer the body of Christ. And then God comes into my life. He saves me. He redeems me. He transforms me. 
and he gives me gifts. He gives me, just like the parent of the child, gives me something useful so that I can go to church and gather with God's people and make a contribution to the building up of the body of Christ. That's when church gets exciting for you. When you see yourself as part of the ministry, that my job is not to do the ministry, but to equip the saints, that's you, to do the ministry. And that's what he says here, that God, who gives the effectiveness, there's different activities. How effective you are in the ministry that you have, that's the blessing, the work of God. Spirit gives the gift. The Son of God gives the area of ministry, the specific ministry area, and that can change. But then any effect you have, that's the gift of God. So we do something for God. We are a mess. We do something for God. God gives us the gift, and then Jesus gives us a ministry, and we go minister, and we go, man, I am awesome. I mean, I prayed for that. Did you hear that? Did you hear my prayer? I mean, that was an awesome prayer I just prayed. And then maybe it's effective. Maybe you pray and something happens in their life. You go, man, I am, this is, I am great. No, you are not. You're just using what God gave you. You'd be nothing without him, even if you have an effectiveness in your ministry. Whatever little or great effect you have. Billy Graham saving thousands and upon hundreds of thousands in his crusades. That's not my story. We baptized, I don't know, 30 people last year. That's effective. But some people, maybe you've led one person to Christ. That's effective. Keep walking with God. Keep seeking him. Watch as these ministries grow in your life. Give God the chance to use you by embracing what he has for you. So the manifestation, verse 7, of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. The manifestation of the Spirit, these gifts he's talking about, that's how we know the Spirit of God is not just a theoretical thing. The Spirit of God is a person who ministers, and he makes himself known in the body by giving people gifts, and people go, whoa, did you see that happen? And it's not for our own glory to make us look like something. It's all to be in awe and wonder of the God who does it. So the manifestation of the Spirit is given to, notice that, to who? To the pastor? What's your Bible say? Each one. Are you an each one? Are you an each one? Say, yes, I am an each one. Uh, Yeah, you're an each one. So that means that every person here who is saved, who can say Jesus is Lord, you have been given a gift of the Spirit. Or maybe many. Or maybe at a prayer meeting, God uses you in a specific way. There's no like one way. Are you getting it? That there's no one way that this all works out. But what we do know is that one way it does work out is that it works out in everybody's life, not just the super spiritual or not just the super mature or not just those that have been saved 20 years or more. When you get saved, God says, I'm going to give you a gift. Wow. I mean, salvation is a great gift in and of itself. But God says, no, I'm going to give you something so you can be useful to those people who love you and who you serve with. And that's what the gifts are for, to make you useful. So to each one, and it is wonderful wisdom, God has distributed these things all over. I mean, talk about a God who loves unity. He takes these gifts, he gives them to everybody, spreads them all out, and then says the only way this is going to work well is when you have relationships with each other and you come together. And he's going to use the example of a body in the next section, and we'll get there. So this church life, outside of these walls here, church life works best when people are in relationship joined together in ministry and in life and in church life. And those gifts are being used by everybody to minister to each other's lives. 
And it's for the profit of all. For the whole community benefits. So what are the gifts? Before we go through the list in 1 Corinthians 12, I'm going to read two other passages to you. There's a few places in the New Testament where there are lists of gifts given. Peter gives two of them in 1 Peter 4, and Paul gives a number of them in Romans 12, and then Ephesians also has a list of some of the offices. Ephesians says, God has given to the church some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. And that's for the building up of the body. Romans 12, listen, for as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. We're connected. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. We could stop there. Having gifts, not when you have a gift, it's established. It's a fact. Having gifts differing, we should use them. If you have the gift of prophecy, then use it in proportion to your faith. Verse 7 says, or ministry, or service, let us use it in your serving. He who teaches, that's a gift of the Spirit, in teaching. He who exhorts, the encouragement, in exhortation. He who gives, that's a gift of the Spirit. Everybody gives, but some people, man, do you know somebody like that? Like, they just give in a way that blows your mind. I remember hearing a story years ago about a woman at a church. She had heard about an orphanage that was being started. I think it's in China. And she hears about the orphanage being started. And she goes up to her pastor after church. She says, Pastor, I feel like God is leading me to sell my house and give the money, the profit, to this orphanage. It's going to be about $10,000 to give it to the orphanage. And the pastor's like, I don't know if that's from the Lord. I mean, that's crazy. Like, you're nuts. You know, sell your house. Like, where are you going to live? What are you going to do? He said, well, just pray about it. And I'm not sure that's of the Lord. I appreciate your heart, but I don't know if that's of the Lord. So she goes home and she puts her house in the market. And days after she puts her house in the market, her son and daughter-in-law call her from wherever they live. And they said, mom, we've been praying. And we just feel like God is calling us to invite you to come and live with us. It's like, wow. So she has this heart, this gift of liberality to generosity. And I know some people in this church that just have the gift of generosity. And we're thankful for that gift. He leads with diligence. Not everybody wants to lead, but some people just call to that. He shows mercy with cheerfulness, mercy and service and teaching and all these different gifts. Peter mentions, if anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. And if anyone ministers, let him do it with the ability that God supplies. So there's the other places. That's the exhaustive list of where we find teachings on the spiritual gifts. And so now here in this passage, for to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. So you see, as Paul goes through this list of the things that they're experiencing locally in the Corinthian church, he says, there's all these different ways the Spirit of God is making himself known among you. Not just one way, all these different ways. So can we just run quickly through the list? You're still with me? So for to one is given the logos of Sophia, the word of wisdom. Sometimes God calls you to open your mouth. Paul said, I believe, therefore I spoke. Some people would rather die than say something to somebody else. Then maybe this won't be your gift. You'll be a behind the scenes kind of guy or girl. But the word of wisdom 
is supernatural solution or direction in a problem or a situation that you just didn't know what to do. You look at a situation, you go, I don't know what we're going to do. Years ago for us, we were buying the building that was our first church office down by the BB&T, and we had put in an offer, and the guy accepted it. And then a couple weeks later, he came back, and he said, well, you know what? I talked to somebody. I think the building's worth more, and he doubled the price. And we had done all this work to it. We're like, oh, God, it's just, what do we do? What do we do? I mean, do we offer the elevated price? So elders got together. We said, let's pray. Let's pray. And as we prayed, then one of the elders spoke up. And he said, I feel like the story of Abraham just came to my mind. And he elaborated on why that was pertinent. And as he said that, we all listened. And we were like, yeah, that's exactly what we should do. And it just brought peace. So in your life, if you've got an issue you're struggling with, and you're struggling privately, you think, oh, I can't figure out what to do, come and ask for prayer. I mean, the prayer meetings in the church are traditionally the lowest attended meetings. And that's one place, one way when God works in our relationship, because that's when we're together. And when we're together, we can minister to each other. And it can be in the fellowship hall between services or after service. You can just say to someone, oh, I'm struggling with this. Can you pray for me? And maybe they'll speak a word of wisdom into your life. And you go, that's exactly what God wants me to do. Thank you. I just know it's from the Lord. So that's one way. We see this in Acts chapter 15, the Jerusalem Council. James speaks truth into that group, and everybody seems to be happy with what James said. Seems good to us in the Spirit. Another, the word of knowledge, the same Spirit. This is knowing something about a situation or a person that you can't learn by observation or by education. This is Jesus and the woman at the well. Jesus meets this woman at the well. He doesn't know her. He knew where she was going to be. He knows her, eternally speaking, but he's never met her before. And he says, woman, go get your husband. She says, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, you're right. You've had six husbands and the guy you're living with now is not your husband. Now, how do you know that? Supernatural word of knowledge. And sometimes that happens in your life. Sometimes that happens while I'm preaching. I'll have people come up to me after service and say, pastor, have you been reading my mail? I mean, has my wife called you? Because what you said, that was my exact situation. And God can speak to your heart. I don't even know I'm saying it. But God is speaking to you. And it's God using me, word of knowledge, and he uses you and can use you in that same way in conversation. Another, faith by the same spirit. This is not saving faith. This is supernatural kind of faith. The George Mueller kind of faith, the guy that started those orphanages in England. Man, just this guy had faith. Do you know anybody like that? These are people that tend to gravitate toward real prayer ministries because they just have this trust in God. So another faith by the same spirit, gifts of healings. Notice that's plural. There's not a gift of healing. There are gifts of healings God gives into the body of Christ. Some of you have experienced gifts of healings. You've been healed. And others, we've prayed for you. We've prayed with you. We've prayed with you. And God hasn't healed And this can be really confusing. Some people believe everybody should get healed. I think that goes against what this passage says. There's a lot more to say about that. But what I can tell you from the New Testament is, do we see people get healed in the New Testament? Jesus heals. We see people in the New Testament in the book of Acts getting healed. The guy at the gate, beautiful. Peter and John go up to worship. And there's a guy, he's been there for a long time. Every day that they go in to pray, they've walked right past this guy. And he's laid there. But that day, they lock eyes, the Spirit of God does something, and they say, silver and gold have we none, but in the name of Jesus, rise and walk. And he's healed that day. 
But then we read on the New Testament and we think about Jesus at the pool of Bethesda, 38 years, a guy there, lame. Jesus has been in and out of there how many times? And there's how many other people that are there and sick? And we have no record of Jesus healing all of them. Paul speaks of Epaphroditus in Philippians 2, who was sick almost unto death, but God had mercy on him. Trophimus, Paul left in, in the place called Miletus, sick. Why didn't Paul just pray for him and he was healed? Paul had to leave him there because he was sick. So we see a lot of variation. Here's what I know. What I know is that every one of us in here, when it comes to physical bodily healing, sometimes I've prayed for people, they get sicker. That's no fun. Don't ask me to pray for you because I pray and you got sicker. I'm sorry. But chapter 15 is about the resurrection and the healing we're all looking for. We get temporary healing here, but if something gets you eventually, 10 out of 10 people die. But the healing we're all looking for is the eternal one. I remember praying for a woman with cancer, and she died a few weeks after that. And I remember going, Lord, what's the deal? You know, I was praying for her to be healed. And God said, I did heal her. She's now in her resurrected body, and she is whole, and she is without disease, and she is without sickness. And that's where we'll all be someday. But occasionally, God steps into our lives, and he brings a healing in a very real way to another working of miracles or powers, Jesus turning water to wine, Jesus feeding 5,000 with five loaves and two fish, Brother Andrew, God's smuggler, smuggling Bibles into Russia, Soviet Union saying, you can make blind eyes to see God. Now I ask you to make seeing eyes blind so they wouldn't notice the Bibles. And then he would drive through the checkpoint with all the Bibles in there and the guards having not been able to see them. Miraculous. Heather Mercer, who was taken captive by the Taliban, said, we all want to see a miracle, but no one wants to be in a place to actually need one. To another prophecy, prophecy is people speaking under the inspiration of God, God speaking through them to people. And we'll talk more about that when we get into the rest of this chapter, chapter 14. To another, the discerning of spirits, having to decide and understand what's of God and what's not. Just because someone carries a Bible and says the right words, and says they're an apostle, or says they're an evangelist, doesn't mean they are. Jesus said, you know a tree by its fruit. And there's some things out there that are pretty fruity in the church world. There's some fruity stuff. And you got to know, God wants you, wants us to have a voice among us that said, I don't think that's of God. I don't think that's of the Lord. To another, different kinds of tongues. This is languages. Again, we'll talk about this a lot as we go forward. I had a couple that I knew years ago. They called themselves Bapticostals. They were Pentecostal Baptists or something like that. And after a Bible study, they said, hey, we want you to come to our house because we want to teach you how to speak in tongues. And I said, that's fruity. That's not of the Lord because these are spiritual gifts. You can't teach someone how to speak in an unknown language. That's not of the Lord. But we see it Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 10, by the way, this is one of the gifts that we don't hear of Jesus ever utilizing. We never hear of Jesus speaking in an unknown tongue. And it's really not written about anywhere else in the New Testament. But right here was an active gift in Corinth and an active gift in our fellowship. We have people in here that have that gift. And that gift, other than being useful personally, is only useful when it's interpreted as a group. What good is it to pray or speak in a language and no one understands what you're saying? It's no good for us as a group. Privately? Yes, it builds you up. It's for the individual. But that's often accompanied then by the gift of interpretation. What in the world did he just say? Or she just say? 
So that's the gift of interpretation. Notice, by the way, that they're also last in the list. And Paul does that intentionally because that's the gift that they were putting first in the list. So Paul says, actually, that gift you think is first is actually not as important as some other gifts. So verse 11, we wrap it up. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. Are you willing to let him do that in your life? Are you willing to say, God, I'm available. However I can serve you, wherever you want to put me, from the prison to the soup kitchen to the children's ministry, Lord, I'll do it, but I ain't doing it alone. I only want to do it if I know you are going to empower me to do it. Amen, church. Amen.